Je suis descendu vers le sud, ce que font tous les gens du nord. J'ai pris n'importe quelle route. Serge Lutens. A Moroccan Thunderbolt. Une sorte de rêve, en fait. It was like a dream, really. In 1968, Serge Lutens, who just signed his first agreement with Dior, set foot on Moroccan soil for the very first time. He journeyed there by boat from Marseille almost accidentally. After three grueling days at sea, 25-year-old Serge arrived in Casablanca under driving rain. This depressing arrival and the sight of the people in their soaking jalabas almost made him turn back. But ultimately, destiny moved him to try his luck southwards. So alone on his Norton motorbike, in his sheepskin jacket and with his little aviator glasses pressed on tight, Serge headed on to Marrakesh. A few hours later, from the top of the little purple hills that locals call the Giblets, he saw the city spread out beneath him. When I arrived, the air was so pure that it rang right through me like a vibration. The atlas seemed to tremble with it in the distance. The recent rains had deepened the Earth's natural red color around Marrakesh, creating a harsh contrast to the bright green vegetation on the plains. Over the next three months, this man from the north, whose predilections always draw him towards the shadows, would get to know this ancient city of light and dust. It was to hit him like a thunderbolt. The abitually solitary Serge felt comfortable in the crowds, among these people whose faces weren't so different from his own. As a child in the 1950s, with the Algerian war raging, locals in his native Lille often took him for one of the region's North African immigrants. His appearance, which had never previously been an issue, became a source of questions as time went on. But not here. Here, he felt welcomed, almost cradled by the eddying crowds in the souks. One by one, his senses, which until then had felt deadened, were awakened by the colors and aromas. His sense of smell was captivated on his very first day there by scented orange blossom being gathered up by a group of women after they'd shaken the flowers from the trees onto big white sheets. Also, the fragrance of cedar wood waylaid him whenever he strolled near the carpenter's stalls. Serge felt certain that one day he would create a perfume and name it Cedre. His days and weeks passed in the euphoric joy of discovery. Serge Lutens took up residence at the Mamounia, a magnificent palace whose grandeur was fading by the late 1960s, although before World War II, it had welcomed the greatest names in politics, cinema and song, including Churchill, Marlene Dietrich and Josephine Baker. The waiters' uniforms were frayed at the cuffs and some of the carpets were threadbare. 
But Serge didn't even seem to notice. He thought everything was enchanting. This journey, that was only meant to last a few days, had no end in sight. Dior could surely wait a few more weeks for his makeup line to be delivered. Serge had decided to hit the road again and explore the far south. He wasn't interested in the ocean or the coastline. The inlands, with their dryness and aridity, were what drew him. Over a few weeks, having crossed the Atlas, he visited Zagora, Gulimin, Tiznit, and a few oases hidden away in the desert. Since he hadn't brought a camera with him on this trip, the landscapes had to leave their imprint on his memory. The road was winding and often only wide enough for one vehicle. Serge was a very poor driver. It was a fluke that he'd managed to get his driver's license. And sometimes he would terrify himself as he rode along dizzying ravines. But as soon as he arrived in the villages, he'd forget all about that as he engaged with the people who rushed up to surround him and talk to him. Morocco was definitely a party. He promised himself he would be back. Serge Lutens, it's been over 50 years since your first trip to Morocco, and yet you still have very vivid memories of it. Why did Morocco make such a deep impression on you? I just signed a contract with Dior and I had some money. And because I hadn't had any money for a long time, all I wanted to do was spend it. I arrived there, well, I'd headed down to the south, like all the people from the north do. And I arrived in Marseille. It was evening, I had dinner in a restaurant in the Vieux-Port. And I felt a bit euphoric, on my own. I walked along next to the water, as you do, around the edge of the harbour. And I had an urge to talk to someone, anyone, as often happens when you're alone, period. There was someone leaning against the ship's railing and I asked, where are you going? Morocco, he told me. I said, oh, that's great. And we talked for a while. I've been wanting to go there for ages. But, well, maybe later. Is there any room left on your ship? We've had two no-shows, he said. So that's how it happened. When I got to Casablanca, it was lashing with rain. It was cold, it was horrible. And I thought, what am I doing here? This is crazy. I took that motorbike and I set off. It was freezing all the way, under the pouring rain. And at the same time, Morocco was waiting. There was this sense of waiting while the rain kept falling. I mean, the people are happy when it rains, but I obviously wasn't. And that road was, I kept thinking, where will I end up? Because I wasn't heading to Marrakech either. I'd just taken any old road. So I found myself on top of the giblet, the little purple mountains, actually little hills around Marrakech, and feasting my eyes on the city below me. 
And as I rode down, the clouds suddenly parted and the sky turned a pure blue, like ether. So I went down into this teeming city. It was like a dream, really. At first, I meant to stay for a week, but I ended up staying there for three months. I arrived in Morocco in February and went back to France in May. And I don't need to tell you about that May because it was 1968 and everyone knows what happened in May 1968. So it was a very long period of holidays and reflection, as much in Morocco as in France. That's how it was. You once said light is an effort and shadows are thrown with such blackness that they make this country into angular emotions, Morocco is a cubist, without realizing it. You talk about Morocco in a way that one doesn't often hear, revealing its hidden aspects, the things that we don't usually see. How did you attain this perspective, and why is it turned specifically on Morocco? Specifically Marrakech, because that's where I've actually lived in Morocco. I visited the south, I've travelled much further afield, as you yourself said earlier, but in fact, it's primarily Marrakech. And it's true, the shadows lie flat on the ground, almost as if they were drawn there. Les émotions sont en angle aussi au Maroc. Emotions are also angular in Morocco. You take sensory impressions in very sharply. Maybe because the West has put the senses to sleep, softened them, made them floppy. And coming here was to travel across smiles, across something that I hadn't encountered before, something that had been too far away, that I'd forgotten somewhere, if you like. That's how it felt to me. To be honest, I think Morocco was like Japan. Like all those other encounters, Morocco was an encounter with myself. It wasn't just, I'll paint someone exotic. I don't have a taste for exoticism. That's not it. I don't like traveling. There are too many suitcases involved. It's too complicated. You have to go through customs, passport checks. I find it all terribly boring. It was sheer chance. I traveled very, very rarely. And if ever I did, it was on behalf of a company or something like that. I generally wouldn't leave my room much. I might take a quick stroll around the neighborhood and then come straight back. No, Morocco was a genuine encounter. Japan was an encounter. But it was more an encounter with myself than with the actual country, if you see what I mean. I've experienced it. I've learned a lot here, as I did in Japan. They're complementary. But I also learned a lot in France with haute couture. And these three elements have all become interwoven. They're meshed into one. That's what happened, see. I can't say exactly what it revealed. Well, obviously the perfume, but also a way of being, also a way of thinking, a way of losing myself too. That's also what I found in Morocco, a way of losing myself.
You've said that as a child, you looked like a little North African. Was it really pure chance that you went on that trip to Morocco, or do you see it as returning to your roots? Non, là, je peux pas vous répondre. C'est très difficile. Vous me posez une question que je ne sais pas parce que je ne me vois plus. I can't answer that. It's a very hard question. You're asking me something I can't answer because I can't see myself anymore. It's true that as a child, that's the kind of face I had. It was during the Algerian War. I wasn't conscious of my face, of what I was. It's true, my hair was very curly, and I looked exactly like a little North African. People did say that. It's true. People would say that to me. And that's sort of the way it happened. I mean, actually, these things always happen because something jolts you. Someone approached me around... Mm, I must have been about eight or nine. I was in a little public square, sitting on a bench. And a man came towards me. He seemed very big to me then. Very, very big and very imposing, really huge. As he came up to me, he said, Bugger off, you filthy African. It was the first time I'd heard that and I wasn't even sure he actually meant it. Then that set off the kids around the square, and they all chased after me, throwing stones. I ran all the way home, it wasn't far, and when I got inside, I looked at my face in the mirror. People have often asked me, what did you think then? Nothing, nothing at all. I remember thinking absolutely nothing. But having seen and having met this guy who was, I don't know why, maybe he'd lost a son in the war or something, I have no idea at all what had happened to him. But his reaction was violent, and so was mine. It did have effects, but they were unconscious, much more than conscious ones. And there you have it. Maybe it was also because of him, because of his insult, that I felt even more integrated in society. So in the end, actually, it's all, thank you very much. Thank you. It was thanks to him that I found Morocco. Thank you. You can see that an insult can sometimes be as effective as a caress. Morocco is the wellspring that many of your fragrances have sprung from. If it hadn't been for that journey, would your fragrances not exist? Ah oui, ça c'est certain. Yes, I'm certain of that. C'est le réveil du sens olfactif. Si ce n'est de que ce sens-là, mais il y a eu beaucoup de sens qui se sont. It was the awakening of the sense of smell and other senses besides. There were many senses that it created a turmoil, a tumult of the senses. This disorder of the senses settled back into some kind of structure. I was disorientated, and I think Morocco brought things back into order. What I mean is, suddenly, to realize what it is when aromas meet. Because in Morocco, that's a little how it is. A tiny bit, usually, it's the eyes first. A child will see first. He'll move towards what he sees. Then he'll grab it. That's the second sense. And put it in his mouth, bring it up to his nose. And if he likes it, he'll try and eat it. 
That's when he'll spit it out or he'll swallow it. Donc en fait, c'est un petit peu différent au Maroc parce que j'ai l'impression que le parfum. So it was actually a little bit different in Morocco because I got the impression that scent came before sight, meaning the smell showed up before the sight. So the fragrance was more compelling than what you saw. It was sort of like a reversal of the senses is the only way to describe it. Donc c'était un petit peu un inversement des sens, si vous voulez. You've been living in Morocco for decades. Do you think of yourself as French or Moroccan now? First of all, I'm not Moroccan. That's a fact. I'm still French. Of course, I was born. Um, it's the first seven years that matter, though. Although I found something here, whether it's something that gives me strength in life or that has taught me a lot, it's got nothing to do with those first seven years. Clearly, like I told you before, it's where you were born that matters. Even if you wish you'd been born somewhere else, it's something you can't change. That's the way it is. You're there, you're... No, not like a Frenchman. Well, first, yes, you're French by language, French by education. But as for the rest, no. I'm completely outside of it all. A filthy outsider. Mais pour le reste, non, 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 je vais complètement hors monde, immonde.